Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Again, it's so good to have brother and sister Mallory. This is brother Gordon Mallory's son, in case you're wondering. He might look a little like him. <laughs> and we, of course, we've had brother Mallory many times, but today you get to hear from the son and he is just a tremendous man of God. He will make you laugh. He'll sneak up on you. I'm going to warn you right now. You'll be laughing, and then he'll drive his point home. So be ready for that. But they are tremendous missionaries. They have been in Hawaii. They have been in the Philippines. They're going back shortly to the Philippines. And you're going to get to hear a bit of his testimony and what great things God is doing and wants to do in your life. So, Brother Mallory, God bless you. We are honored to have you with us. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Love you too. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, church. Amen. Brother Kylie is one of my dad's best friends. And uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Amen. What a wonderful presence of the Lord is in this house. I really enjoy praise and worship time, but I particularly enjoyed this morning. Um, It seems like whenever you can get into the presence of the Lord, the cares of this life just, just kind of, whatever you brought in, the worries, the, the stress, the, the issues, if you can just ever get in his presence, all of that just goes away. And uh, so I think that's kind of the key to living a, a, a well life, is to be able to just practice his presence wherever you go. Amen. Brother Kylie, thank you for your incredible hospitality. Um, what a great man of God you have as your pastor. Amen. You know, when I was younger, I uh, looked to people for uh, talent, um, ability, the look, the flair, the flash, whatever. Um, and that seemed to be more important. But the most important thing is, are they a Christian? And then all the rest of that can come. And uh, Brother, Brother Kylie is a true Christian. What a wonderful spirit. Just love being around a man of God like this. Amen. I have a verse for you, and uh, I'm not even going to give you the, the, I'm not even going to give you where it is in the Bible, because I believe most of you can quote it. We're going to try this out. I'm going to start it, and let's see how you do. Amen. I can do. Amen. Very familiar verse, but do we really understand what it means? All means what? There is no other definition for all. I mean, all is its own definition. I can do all things. What if we really could do all things? Amen. Look at your neighbor and just ask him, what if? What if? What if we really could do all things? I believe that we can. If the word of the Lord said that we can, I believe that there is more that we can do 
than we think that we can do. Amen. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. What if, what if. Let's all pray. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful presence that is here. God, we ask that you would, that you would just expand our faith, that you would increase the range of our vision. God, that we understand the time that we are in. And God, that at the time of the end, that you, you give more grace, you give more power, that there will be the supernatural in, in manifestation in greater way. And God, we ask that you would allow us to see that before it even happens. In Jesus' name. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. What if you could be seated? <laughs> Amen. What if? You know, everyone has an imagination. My wife and I have three children, and uh, I, I, miss, I miss the age when they were little because our routine was every night would tell a story, and their imagination would just go with, with whatever you, you began to tell them. And I, I, I love my imagination. That's one of the favorite things about me. But the imagination of a human being in function begins with these two words, and it's a question. It's what if. What if this were true? What if we could do this? What if we could go there? And if you are able to ask the right questions and tie it to your imagination, that's what allows an artist to create or inventors to invent or scientists and mathematicians solve problems that people don't even know are problems. But you see, they, they ask the question, what if? And it's, many times it's an inspired moment in their life that maybe seems to come out of nowhere. And they don't know if it's going to work. And, and they don't know if they're going to fall flat on their face. But they ask, what if? And then they go with it to see where it leads. In Paris, France in 1865, there was an author who wrote a novel by candlelight because the first electric light was yet to be installed in the city of Paris for another 14 years in the future. This author's name was Jules Verne and he was famous for writing uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and other, other stories. Uh, Captain Nemo was his creation, and his name was Jules Verne. Amen. He published, though, a science fiction novel in 1865, and the title of this novel was From Earth to the Moon. He wrote in this story of fantasy about three Americans who are fired into space in a gun. And in this story, the three men launch a lunar vessel named Columbiad. And the weight of this vessel was around 20,000 pounds. And the cost of this moon mission was $5.5 million. And everyone said it was impossible. People told their children they were wasting their time reading silly fairy tales. It's much better to read a factual book than a work of fiction, they said. However, 100 years later, America 
America put three men in a command module and they gave the name to the command module, Columbia. The weight of the Columbia uh, command module was just over 20,000 pounds and the cost of the moon mission was $16 billion when factoring in inflation, it was strangely very close to the $5.5 million of 1865. And men went from Earth to the moon. You see, Jules Verne wrote from his imagination because there was no technology yet that would allow man to go from earth to the moon. There, there wasn't any rocket fuel, much less a rocket. There, there were no space uh, materials and, and the heat shield that would need to be on the capsule for re-entry. There, there was no computers that could calculate the trajectory to, to hit the moon after being launched into space. And, and yet his imagination gave birth to reality. H.G. Wells was an author and he predicted automatic sliding doors in 1899 and he wrote of the atomic bomb a full 34 years before the scientists gathered together for the Manhattan Project and produced one in total and absolute secrecy. You see, writers without electricity wrote of robots and robots with artificial intelligence that could communicate back and forth with a human. They wrote wrote of flat screen TVs before there were any kind of TVs and 3D imaging and they wrote of self-driving cars before there were even cars and they called it fiction then but today we call it what? We call it reality. You see that is the nature of an imagination. It doesn't matter if it's possible yet. Amen. You're allowed to dream anyway. Jesus told his disciples to pray. He said, pray this way. Pray when it is dark. Pray when it is a, when wars and, and famine and apostasy. He said, pray thy kingdom come. Hallelujah. Thy will be done. It doesn't matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter what it looks like. We are still supposed to pray, Lord, let heaven be on earth. Hallelujah. God, let your ways be the ways of earth. Hallelujah. This isn't just a way to pray. I believe it is a mental attitude that you and I should have. We should have a posture that looks to the future that says the impossible can become possible. Hallelujah. I believe that in the last days there is going to be and already now happening a shift in the spirit where in the last days saith the Lord I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter what it looks like now. It doesn't matter how humanity has rejected the spirit of the Lord now. Hallelujah. I believe that God is true and let every man be a liar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I believe that we need to be dreamers, that we are in position so that when God is ready to move, we're ready to go. When God is ready to move, nothing on earth will stop it. No government, no sickness, no moral decay, no famine. There, there is nothing that can stop the will of God. Can I get an amen? It is going to happen. So what does this have to do with the imagination? 
Let me break it down for you. I, I've gone through some struggles in my health and in my life, which I might tell a little bit about here in a moment. But in, in that, in that process of dealing with stage four cancer and the doctor saying that it was incurable and, and it was already far advanced, I, I began to dig into this concept of faith, you know, because I kind of needed it. And I found that I was raised in a home. My dad is a, is a faith preacher, but I, I, I was frustrated in my faith walk because I continually reached for faith, but I didn't understand what was the building blocks of faith. You can't just have faith without having what makes faith. Bible says that faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. If you want faith, but you don't have hope, you're not going to have faith. If you can't see the unseen, I guess that means you can't have faith either. Because faith is the leap, but hope are the building blocks. Hope is the steps that allow you to get to the leap of faith, hallelujah. Because if you can have hope that tomorrow is gonna be better than today, you can have faith. Amen. Now anyone can see how dark the hour is, but who is there among us that can see with eyes of the Spirit? Amen. I believe that our world is headed for a great revival. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Amen. We find prophecies in the Bible of the, the great outpouring in the last days. And in Revelation, it talks about the seventh angel and the seventh trumpet is going to come and, and going to sound. And it's going to be in mid, mid uh, position right above the earth. And it's going to preach the gospel to every tribe, every kindred, every nation. Amen. I believe that you and I are in a time where the supernatural is about to be employed in the salvation of man. Hallelujah. I believe that a revival is going to break out. Now, there is going to be apostasy. There's also going to be a great falling away. But I also believe that at the time of the end, no one is going to be without excuse. But let me tell you this, your imagination working for you is called hope. But your imagination working against you is called fear. You see, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is Fear, because perfect love casts out all fear. Amen. I, I, I believe that dreamers and doubters agree most of the time on one thing. Dreamers and doubters both agree that whatever the dream is, it may not be possible today. That is what they agree on, but this is where uh, dreamers continue to dream anyway because they differ from a doubter because they say, a doubter say it's impossible, but a dreamer says it may be impossible now, but hallelujah, there's a day coming. Things can change. Dreamers don't settle for the way things are. Hallelujah. Because we can learn what we don't know. We can acquire what we don't have. We can get stronger when we were weak. Hallelujah. We can take small steps to get to the big step. 
Amen. What if? What if? What if the church began to dream? What if, what if everybody on the church pew began to dream? What if we really could do greater works than Jesus did? Because he said, greater works. That's a leap. Now, in, in 1969, I was two years old, I'm 51 today, but in 1969, we went to the Philippines, and the Philippines is a uh, nation in Southeast Asia. It's below China, and it's a population of about 100 million people today. But in that, in that day, there were 15 churches spread across about 7,100 islands. That's a drop in the bucket. Nobody knew that the apostolic church was there. It was predominantly at that time, I believe about 98% Roman Catholic. And um, my dad showed up. Those of you that know dad, he, he likes to think that he's a walking revival. And a lot of times it's true. He, he's a man of faith. He shows up and he just preaches and, and sees what happens. He tried it in the Philippines. The first two years, nothing happened. In fact, the first year before, or the year before we arrived, 1968, there was not a single person baptized in any of the churches in the entire year. And so it was a dead situation. People told them, you need to leave because this just isn't going to work. These people do not want the apostolic message. They don't want the apostolic way. They don't like to worship the apostolic method of worshiping. They don't, they're very reserved. They said, this is not the place for, for an apostolic revival. Now, I want to tell you some things of the condition, but at the same time, I would like our man up there to show you the way it is now, to give you a contrast, a visual contrast, okay? I had a montage of three crusades that we were in just this last summer, and it was in a, uh, three different areas where there had not been any revivals break out, big revivals. It was just a handful here and there, and it's incredible to see the response today. So I, I'm going to let, let him, if you could, it's a short clip, so you're going to have to just loop it while I talk, and when I'm done, I'll, I'll tell you when to stop, but it's the, it's the one, the Manila crusade if you could just show that to them now because people were saying you need to leave nobody wants this amen what if he would have listened what if they would have listened to the critics and the doubters what if they would have given up amen but they didn't hallelujah now uh, while he's working on that let me just tell you this in in the city of manila there was not a single apostolic church not one. And so they started uh, the uh, church, they started the Bible school outside the city of Manila, and uh, they were trying to get converts. Nobody was converting. And uh, so they said, why don't we move into the city of Manila? So they moved the Bible school into the city of Manila, and they, they went after the doctors and the lawyers and the businessmen. For the first two years, there was no converts. It was a hard go. Dad was sick. He went down to about 125 pounds, and he was sick for a couple of years, and it was, it was tough. And so dad said, he said, you know, he said, before we give up, we need to try going to uh, a place where maybe we can find somebody. Why don't you turn it up just a little bit? I command you to receive the Holy Ghost. Shout! 
They said you need to leave. They said it ain't going to work. Hallelujah. Doubters aren't always right. In the last days, saith the Lord, I will, I will, I will. Hallelujah. Let God be true and every man a liar. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. That's a soccer stadium. About 40,000 people are in attendance. Why don't you turn the volume down? Just, just keep it playing. And, and you, can, you can start it over if it stops. But I, I, I want this to be a, a visual contrast of, of, of then and now you, you see this is this is how we should be we should be able to look into the future and see a reality that may not be here today hallelujah praise God and so we went to um, we went to Manila and I was just a little guy and dad said we're gonna start the church in Manila nobody converted they said you need to leave this is in Manila that that particular um, there's 200 and some churches in the city of Manila right now. And they, they said, you need to go home. Amen. I just got I to gotta, I gotta get that out there because there's somebody in this place. You are wondering, amen, if you're going to be able to be more than you are today. If you're, if you're going to have more influence than you have today. Or if your ministry is going to be greater t tomorrow than it is today. Hallelujah. I speak with words of faith that yes, it will. Hallelujah. That God is going to bring about a, a supernatural activation of his people. Uh, the supernatural is going to come into our day. But we went to the city of Manila and nobody converted. So dad said, okay, we're going to try something. He said, we're going to go to the garbage dump. It's the third largest slum in the world. People live on the trash. They live from the trash. They eat from the trash. And the place is so large, it's called Smoky Mountain. And uh, it was estimated several hundred thousand people were living on and off of the trash. And many of them were children and the stench and the condition is just incredible. And so here they are in this situation where everybody said, you just need to go home. You just need to give up. And so, so dad said, no, we're going to drive our van into the trash. And, and we drove into the trash. And I was just a little kid on some of those trips into that place. And I could not imagine the smell. It was over. Overpowering, yet there were children everywhere. And dad opened up the van door and, and the children came to see what the foreigner was doing here in Smoky Mountain. And he told them, he said, who wants to go to church? And nobody, nobody wanted to go to church, but he said, who wants to eat a very good meal? hot, fresh cooked meal. And of course the van just filled up with children. And that was the beginning of the, the church in the Philippines. That was the beginning of the revival in the Philippines. Amen. What you see now, hallelujah, was, was started with children out of the garbage. The, the society said they are, they are not just living on garbage. They themselves are garbage. And so the, 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 the people, the children went home to their parents and they said, listen to what we found. Look at what we learned. And they, they began to tell their parents about this. And pretty soon the parents came and there was a service where 100 were filled with the Holy Spirit in a single service. Amen. 
Hallelujah, take that, doubters. And then there was a service where 200 were filled with the Holy Ghost in a single service. And, and then 300 were filled with the Holy Ghost in a single service. You see, you create your own rainstorm. Hallelujah. You create your own climate. If you don't like your atmosphere, change it. Hallelujah. And then there was a service where, where a lady, Bobby Shoemaker, was, was sitting on the piano playing, just playing a song. There was no preacher. There was no exhortation. She was just playing in a, a large auditorium and the Holy Ghost moved into that place and 500 people were filled with the Holy Ghost in a single setting, hallelujah. And then it went to a thousand. A thousand were filled with the Holy Ghost in a single service, praise God. And then 3,000 were filled with the Holy Ghost and that was the first time that it was known that there was 3,000 in one day since the book of Acts 2,000 years before. Hallelujah, it went all around the world. Wow, the Philippines is in revival. They said it would never happen. But dad got a dream driving down Interstate 10 in Lake Charles and God gave him a dream. You see, at that time, there may have been 60 or 70,000 members in the church across the entire Philippines. And God gave dad a dream, would you believe me for a million soul revival in the Philippines? No country in the world had a million apostolics in it, not even close. America was probably the close. And dad immediately, he said, yes, Lord, I believe, hallelujah. He started telling people about it. Some people said, you're crazy. Some people got excited, hallelujah. But things started taking off. And then there was a service where 5,000 were filled in one service. And then 10,000 were filled in one service. It seemed like nothing was going to stop it. Church growth experts were coming from America and Europe and Australia, knocking on the door of the organization's office, trying to find the leader. And they found dad. He was the general superintendent. And they said, what's your secret? This church is the fastest growing denomination anywhere. What's your education, you know? Dad said, well, I didn't graduate 10th grade. He said, it's not about that. He said, what's happening here is a move of God. He said, this, this is in the book. And he took him to Acts chapter two, verse, uh, verse 38. He said, this is the secret. We've, we've got to get the spirit back into the people, amen. Hallelujah. And, and so it looked like nothing could stop it, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to skip over this. A crisis befell our family and the government. A uh, turn of events, the government was against the organization. And since dad was the head of the organization, uh, they, they came against him and we, we had to leave. We were blacklisted. It was a devastating time. Amen. Everybody said it's over. Is it over? You see, what we experience is only temporary the dream is eternal if God gives you a dream that's what you should hold on to hallelujah that's more evidence than than what you experience praise God and so we had to leave our family tried to move on I've got two brothers they moved on I married my wife my beautiful wife some people have to go to heaven to meet their angel I just married mine I decided to make it a little easier <clears throat> Amen. 
Mom and dad, they grieved. They tried to go on with their life. They felt like they'd been robbed of the dream. They felt like the dream was dead. They felt like there wouldn't be a million souls in the Philippines. But which, which reality is true? The reality that you experience now or the reality that you're going to step into one day? Hallelujah. Praise God. I hath not seen, neither ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things I have prepared for you. When you start feeling down, when you start feeling like the world is against you, you just need to remember you've got a promise, and your promise is greater than your today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. So here we are back in the, the United States trying to readjust to American culture. My wife and I are married. We have three children. I went to work for her father. Her father was a carpenter, I mean a, a, a contractor, and uh, he was building th uh, 12, 1,300 houses a year. He has a big company. I was making good money. I was comfortable, but I couldn't get away from the dream because all I ever wanted in my life was just to fulfill and see that dream fulfilled because I believed it was from God. Hallelujah. We tried over and over to get back into that country. It was, it was just a deal. Obstacle after obstacle. And then one day, after four trips to the Philippines in which I got sick all four times, it was a Friday night, we were asleep, we went to sleep, everything seemed normal. I woke up the next morning and uh, you can go to that uh, first picture. My wife pointed at my neck, she said, Jeff, what is that? And uh, overnight, in eight hours, that thing appeared and uh, it was hard, it felt like a, a large egg. Went to the doctor, the doctor said, that is cancer. He said, um, it's a kind of lymphoma that is not thought to be curable. And um, he said, it's already stage four, it's out throughout your body. The, the tumors are just, they're everywhere. They're inside your intestines, uh, your spleen, your liver, everything, just cancer. And they uh, said that the bone marrow was 70% cancer. We ended up leaving our church. We were pastoring in Maui, Hawaii. They didn't have an expert that knew about this rare disease. And we ended up in Washington, D.C. at the National Cancer Institute. They accepted us into a clinical trial. They said, we're studying this disease. Went into that trial, signed my name on the dotted line. They said, we are gonna give you all the care free. We're gonna do everything that we can. However, at the end of our treatment, we do not believe that we are gonna be successful because we have never defeated this disease. I lost 60 pounds, two years of chemotherapy. Look at the next picture. <clears throat> I had three surgeries. While I was going through chemotherapy, my colon ruptured. They had to cut 30 inches out of the colon they gave me an ostomy. Had a bone marrow transplant. The expert said it was over. Amen. But I'm not really spoiling the story. You all know it wasn't over. So, so, so don't get all sad and glum. Amen. Because reality is what God says it is.
Hallelujah. We put too much, we put too much word in, in, in the experts of this world. And uh, don't get me wrong, I really admire doctors and I, I highly respect nurses. They are my heroes. Amen. And science, I love science. But at the end of our understanding, that's where God takes over. Amen. Just because they said, the experts said, there's no hope, doesn't mean there's no hope. We have something called the eternal hope. That means you can have faith in any situation. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so while we're going through this situation and my wife and I, are, we're, we're, just, we're just inside, we're dying to go to the Philippines, but I don't have an immune system anymore. And, and now I'm so weak, I can't even navigate two steps without my wife pushing me from the back to get up these steps. And, and the people are saying, you're not gonna survive. And the lady beside me in the study died and the man on that side died. And, 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 and it looked like I was gonna die a couple times. But while we're in there, I'm telling the doctors, you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. I, I got a, I got a, 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 a calling. I gotta go to the Philippines. They would laugh, say, you can't go to the Philippines. You can't even take out the trash in Maryland. How are you gonna go to the Philippines? So, well, place in the Philippines kept calling us. Place was called Demolok. And uh, Demolok is on the most dangerous island in the Philippines. For those of you that don't know, the southern part of the Philippines is home to some of the most radical extremist Muslims in the world. Uh, they were the Al-Qaeda before the Al-Qaeda was the Al-Qaeda. And before ISIS was ISIS, they were, they've been doing this for about 60 years or so. Also home to an extremist communist militant army called the New People's Army. And so right in the center of that place, there was a, there was a, a, a group of pastors that kept texting and emailing saying, you've got to visit. And here I am reading some of these. And I'm in ICU with 17 lines hang, uh, coming out of my body. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know, Lord, th there's, kind of a, there's, there, there's kind of a thing going on here because I know where I'm supposed to be, but I can't get there. I started feeling my faith because it had been years. At one point, we were in that hospital nine months, got to go home three nights out of nine months. And the finances, and I'm pastoring a church in Maui, yet I'm not there, and I'm 5,000 miles away, and it, it, was, it was tough. So I felt my, I felt my, I didn't realize it at the time, I've, I've had time to think about it, but what had happened was the situation had ground my imagination down where I couldn't eat, I said, I'd never been sick before this. But because of the current crisis and the current suffering, I couldn't even remember being healthy in the past. I mean, really, unless you've been there. And I certainly couldn't imagine being healthy in the future. That was my new normal. But I began to resist it against that and think is that all my life is going to be this is it it's not finished yet and so I asked my wife I said Brenda we need to have a meeting she kind of chuckled because in two years she never left my side she's always there she slept in a hospital chair for about two years and she said you, you want to have a meeting do you well it's kind of convenient because I'm always here I said, no, it needs to be a formal meeting because I got something I got to get out. I got to say something. I got to put a word out there, amen, that you and I can just stand on, praise God. You know why God puts your mouth in the front of your head and not the back? It's because your words are supposed to speak to your future. 
hallelujah. Too many times we waste our words because we're, we're spending time talking about what happened back then. And, and, and there's great landmarks and things that we should remember. But if you want to change your life, you put your words to the future. Hallelujah. And so I told my wife, I said, let's have a formal meeting. And I'm weak and I'm standing there. And she's, she's just trying to survive being a caregiver in this situation. And, and I told her, I said, Brenda, what if... The doctors are wrong. What if I don't have to die in this hospital? What if the best is yet to come? What if there's more for our life? What if the dreams that we have dreamed are really gonna come to pass? And and at the time, I'm telling you, there never were words that seemed more impossible than those words. But you see, the imagination can dream. There's no limits. You can say whatever you wanna say. So you might as well dream good things, right? Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are what? Good, true, pure. If there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. That's the the butchered version of that verse. But what he's saying is if you're going to sit there and stew, why don't you use your mind to think of the good things? And if you can't think of anything good now, why don't you let your imagination think of some good things in your future? Hallelujah. Put your hope to work. And so I I told her, I said, what if I don't have to die? And then I said, the reason I wanted this to be a formal meeting was because I need to say something. If I don't have to die, I'm not going to live my life tomorrow or when I get out of here the way I did before I came in here. I had some time to think about my life and think of all the opportunities that I had missed, all the open doors that I had avoided because I felt like I wasn't good enough or it should be somebody else or I'm gonna fail and make a fool of myself. And I got thinking, man, that is no way to live a a valuable life. Playing scared all the time. So I told my wife, I said, if I don't have to die, I will no longer allow fear to stop me from walking through an open door that God has opened for me. Amen. Now that could change somebody's life if you just got a hold of that. Because you don't have to listen to fear. That's a choice. I used to think when fear, door opens, God says, come, fear lies down because the devil don't want you to do the will of God. I always thought when I ran up against fear, fear meant stop. No, if God's in it, fear means go faster even. Amen, hallelujah. And so, praise God. I wish I had an opportunity to tell you of the healing. I don't have time. But the doctors finally gave up. The team, the lymphoma team, Dr. Wyndham Wilson, look him up. He's the number one expert on lymphoma. There's 68 known lymphomas. He is the man that discovered, named, and came up with the protocol for 63 of the known 68 lymphomas. He is the expert. On Valentine's Day, 2013, he had me and my wife come in for a meeting, and the team was all there, and they were looking somber, and they said, it's over. No more hope. Nothing more we can do. Everything we've done, the cancer is stage four again. It has defeated absolutely everything we've thrown at it. There's a tumor on your liver near the, near the bile duct. It's growing fast. If it grows anymore, it's gonna, it's gonna shut off the bile duct. 
the liver, once that stops, you know, you've got three to five days. That's, that's what you need to think is, is it's that eminent. Go home, prepare. Man, when we got that news, I thought, goodness, I need a dream right now. I need an imagination right now. And so, some other time I'll tell you, but God healed me in a church service. After the doctor said, there's no hope. Go home and die. Tumors everywhere. I was in a church service on this side of the the altar. Three to five days to live. And I felt something hot hit the top of my head. And it burned all the way through my body, all the way to my feet. Do you know that hospital brought me back there every four to six weeks for three years trying to find cancer? My bone marrow, they they paid the ticket from Hawaii. Man, I was racking up some frequent flyer miles. 200,000 miles in one year. They kept trying to find it because they said, your bone marrow was 70% cancer. There's no way all the tumors and the, the cancer in the bone marrow is gonna go. There's no way. Would you believe it's been five years now, I don't s- still have even a single cancer cell anywhere in my body. <clears throat> Hallelujah. What you need to know is God is able that God can, hallelujah, just like Pastor Kylie said, God is greater than cancer. God is greater than heart disease. God is greater than kidney disease, hallelujah. Praise God, you've gotta activate your hope. The woman with the issue of blood, when she tried everything and everything had failed and she had lost everything as a result of her her trying and for 12 years, she still had hope, hallelujah. Even though she was scratching and clawing in the dirt trying to get, she said this. She said, if, (laughs) if, that's her imagination working. If, what if I could just touch the hem of his garment, hallelujah. You see, she didn't come for a touch. She came for a healing. She said, if I can touch, I shall be made whole, hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah. When we come to the front, don't come for prayer, come for healing. Don't come for a touch, come to be made whole. Okay, so I'm healed now. The doctors who have been telling me you can't go anywhere because number one, you have cancer and you're about to die. Number two, you don't have an immune system. Not only the cancer go, my immune system was miraculously restored to me. Amen. That's why I can shake your hands today. I don't have to wear a mask because my B cells were rejuvenated inside my body against scientific uh, probability. When it happened, I said, is this rare? The doctor in charge said it's not rare, it's impossible. The B cells never come back once you get to this age in in life. And B cells produce antibodies. You don't have an immune system without B cells. I got B cells, I got antibodies, so here I go. Hallelujah. 
And the doctor said, he shook my hand, the head of hematology for the National Cancer Institute, Dr. Daniel Fowler, shook my hand and said, Mr. Mallory, go change your world. So, we bought a ticket to the Philippines because the city of Damolok or the village of Damolok had called for us and it's the most dangerous place in that country, one of the most dangerous places where, where, where foreigners get their heads chopped off because their industry is kidnapping for ransom. But we felt, we really, you know, I didn't, I just had my life handed back to me. I wasn't wanting to just throw it away. But we prayed, Brenda and I, we both had peace. That's how you know God's in it. And so we went, we bought a ticket. We went down to Davao. That's the safe island on the island of Mindanao. Safe city, I'm sorry. And when we landed in Davao, the pastors met us to take us to the Moloch. They had a four-wheel drive. They said for the first two hours of this eight-hour journey, we'll be on a road. The last six hours is gonna be off-road for the first two hours, you get to sit in the seats just like regular passengers. But for the last six hours when we leave safe, you know, the safe highway, you're going to have to lay down on the floorboard. We're going to cover you up because if the people see you as we're going, they can text ahead and, you know. And so <clears throat> we're getting ready to go. But somebody else from our past, because your fear always tells you there's no way, right? But with God, there's always a way. And maybe it's a way you didn't think of, but it's still a way. Somebody from our past, another incredible story. Dad had gotten this uh, kid to go to a Bible school the first year they were in the Philippines when they said nothing's gonna happen. He recruited an 18-year-old up in the mountains, brought him into Bible school. This kid was very gifted, so dad brought him in, put him under his wing, and for 14 years, dad mentored him. Even he lived in our house for a while. He was, he was like family to us, but his doctrine got off. And, and so after dad tried everything to work with him, it wasn't just doctrine, it was crazy doctrine that went way off. Dad finally had to say goodbye, and we, we didn't see him, didn't talk to him for 32 years. Well, somehow, we don't really know how. He's one of the richest men in Asia now. He's a multi-multi-billionaire many times over. So his people meet us at the airport. We heard why you're here. You won't survive the journey to Damolok. I said, well, we're going anyway. They said, well, that's what he said you'd say. So we have a proposal. Instead of, uh, instead of just going through with your plan, once you stay here for two days, we're gonna mobilize the army. The 73rd Battalion of Army Rangers is gonna go in. They're gonna make sure everything's safe, set up a 10-kilometer perimeter. And once it's safe, look at the next picture. They said, we're gonna give you our chopper and you can fly our helicopter in. Instead of eight hours, we get to cut across the Gulf of Davao. It's only 25 minutes. We'll drop you down in there just nice and look at the next picture. The military was there to greet us. My fear said, my fear said when I got there, I was gonna have a bandana with an ammo belt you like this. And I was gonna be running through the banana plantations with bullets whizzing past my ear. But this guy, he said, welcome to Damolok, you are safe. And next picture, the pastors in that area had gotten together and they said, wonderful things, look at the next picture. There are about 50 pastors and their, their families. And uh, we had a good time, but I asked them, I said, 
why were you so persistent in inviting me? Because there's no cell phone signal here. There's no internet. You guys had to climb on top of that yonder mountain over there to get a signal or something. They said, well, there's a very good reason we invited you. They said, because 45 years ago, there was not a single apostolic or Pentecostal anywhere in these, these mountains, anywhere, not one. But a missionary came walking through these mountains 45 years ago with a guide and interpreter. And he stayed with us for one day and one night and taught us this wonderful doctrine. And when he left, not another missionary has ever been back to see what we have done with the gospel in 45 years. Well, there's a good reason nobody's been back. It's deadly dangerous. And I said, well, what have you done with the gospel in 45 years? They took me out to a place outside that little covered roof area so I could see all the way around. They started telling me how many churches were around us, how many are on that mountain and that mountain and that mountain and just over that mountain. And I was, I was just amazed. I had goosebumps. I said, this is incredible. They said, we have been so successful with with." The outpouring of the spirit in this, this area that the names of these mountains have changed. The government now calls these mountains Pentecostal mountains. They said we have converted 98% of the population of this entire mountain region. There's only one church that's of another faith, denomination, or religion in this whole area other than our churches. I said, that's incredible. They said, we just want the world to know. I said, I'll tear it, tell it everywhere I go. So we're getting ready to leave, and I asked the, the head presbyter, I said, who was that missionary 45 years ago? They said, it was your father. And not only that, the, the man that owns that helicopter that you flew in on was his guide that day. <clears throat> you know what I thought on the way home? I had many thoughts flying back to Davao, but... but the, the thought that, that was the strongest in me just cemented the, the fact that I, I, I don't want to let fear stop me anymore. If God says go, I'm telling you, there are so many opportunities that we are leaving on the table because we don't move when God says move. When we, God says do it, talk to him, knock on that door, reach out to somebody, start a Bible study, and we let fear stop us. You can't imagine the things that we're missing out on. And so things just, things just began to, to take off. Amen. Look at the next picture. It's hard to see. That's me and the president of the Philippines. Brenda and I and his wife and his daughter and him, we're having dinner. It's not a formal occasion. It's just casual. I could tell you how the doors open, but you know, here's the thing. You are only probably a few doors from anybody in the world. You've just got to go through those doors. Amen? Because when you walk through one door and you think you have expectation of what's about to, to what, what you're going to experience, there's always another door. And if you keep walking by faith and not by sight, you're going to get there. And so here we are, the president. If you ever heard anything about this guy, he's quite a character. The president of the Philippines is a major character, and that's putting it nicely. Uh, he ran on a campaign. He was going to kill all the, the bad people. I'm going to kill the corrupt judges, corrupt politicians, the drug dealers. I'm just going to kill them all. He said, if I have to, I'll kill them myself. And he was elected in a landslide. 
And so we're sitting there at dinner and he's telling me about all the people he's still planning to kill and the people he has killed. I'm not eating. I'm like, this ain't my type of conversation, you know. I want to save people. I don't want to kill people. And uh, about halfway through, though, the conversation just, it was like a a switch just flipped. He went from all the people he was going to kill and how he was going to take care of it. He finally just shoulders went down. He said, he said, but I can't solve the world's problems. He said, I don't have answers for what's going on here. He said, I can't kill all the bad people. He said, I just say that. He said, no man has the answers. He said, only God. I said, okay, now I'm in the conversation. <laughs> only God has the answers. And you know what he started telling me? He started telling me about how he's not a religious man. He, he's, he's as close to an atheist as you can get. But God began to work in his life. And he started saying, we need the word of God in the people's lives because that's how they learn morality and and ethics. And we need to get prayer back in in the schools and prayer back into the government. And he started saying all of that. And man, we had an incredible conversation about that. He said, I want to open up a room in the palace for 24-hour prayer for pastors like you to pray. Hallelujah. He hasn't done it yet. But listen, what I'm here to tell you is that man is probably the least likely man that you would ever think would be used by God. However, it takes an imagination. Nebuchadnezzar was probably the last man you would ever think would be used by God or Cyrus the Great, but they rebuilt the temples. And so here's what's happened next. The next picture. What's happened now is the government has, has turned over the schools to us. In, in many locations of that country, they are canceling classes for however long we need. And we're teaching them the songs you just sang. We're showing them how to worship. We're teaching them Bible stories and Bible lessons. And, and the government is saying, yes, this is what we need. Look, look at some more. Some more. Just keep, keep going. Amen. Just keep going. <clears throat> Hallelujah. That's a high school. I don't know if you can see it, but there, I don't know. There was probably a thousand high schoolers there. And, and they're listening to the word of God. Keep going. Amen. Hallelujah. Keep going. They said we should leave. They said they don't want this. I want you to know what's happening now is the government now is our biggest help in this other than God himself. The government is saying, here, take them. Take them. We don't know what to do with them. The church can probably do something because we can't. We don't have the answer. Keep going. Look, we get to feed them. Amen. Hallelujah. Keep going. Hey, hallelujah. We're getting putting hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of pounds of rice together and, and giving to the poor people. The government's saying, here, do what you can with them. And so this is the prison. The prisons in the Philippines are notorious, most overcrowded prison system on planet Earth. A room, a room probably this size right here, 86 prisoners in one room. Unbelievably overcrowded. They don't let visitors because you bring drugs and look, he's praying with them. They bring drugs and different things in, so it's hard. They've turned the prisons over to us. Come on in. They need it. Teach them. Look some more. Baptizing prisoners. Some more. 
People are afraid to go. That's things we got for them, toiletries and whatnot, because they don't have toothbrushes and they don't have uh, soap and whatnot. Okay, so anyway, it's not just the prisoners. Now they're saying the police are corrupt. Hello? Over there, they're terribly corrupt. And uh, they said they need, they need moral recovery. Do you know in the city of Manila, there are, I think it's 20,000 uh, cops that our church is the exclusive Bible study. I'm talking not just like Bible studies outside where they come. We have our Bible studies in their facility, in their training facilities. When they graduate, they have to come to our church during a church service to receive their, 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 their uh, whatever certificate. We have so many now in our church that it's, it's a, the, the general that's over the whole thing is one of our members. If we get stopped by a cop in, in, in Manila, all we do is tell them what church we belong to. And they're like, hey, you can go right on ahead. Hallelujah. So keep going, keep going. Hallelujah. There's other pictures. Oh man, some great pictures. Didn't get to go. Let me just tell you this. There's an 80-year-old man. He pastored one of the original 15 churches when mom and dad went, I'm almost done, in the city of Manila. His name's Pastor Gallos. Big church, very large. Modern, out in the middle of nowhere, but very modern. Streams live on the internet, it's a great church. So he's 80 and he says, you know, I need to retire. So he turns it over to his sons. But he tells God, he says, I've retired from pastoring, but I've not retired from ministry. God, give me another job to do. And would you believe God gave him the most difficult job that probably has ever been received by any minister in that country? God said, you see those militant communist rebels, the New People's Army that kill pastors and blow up churches and live by extortion and kidnapping? That's your people. Go win them. He said, okay. You see, fear causes most of us to stop. But if we just learn, just all it is, it's a step. Just get over the fear and go do it. And so he said, okay. So he found a soldier, one of the, the New People Army soldiers, and he started witnessing to him. Would you believe that guy was hungry? And he was converted. He was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And he said, I know somebody else, another soldier that's hungry that wants to know, and he took him to that one, and that one was converted, and, and then another one, and another one, it started breaking out. Well, after, after a while, the shoe dropped, you know, they had to go back to the commanders, because the commanders had a job for them. You gotta go extort, and if they don't give the money, you gotta kill them, you know, that kind of thing. And they told the guy, they told the commander, nope, our guns were laying down, our machetes were laying down, we're not doing that anymore. They said, okay, we're gonna have to kill you then. Because, you know, you're in this for life. You know our secrets. You know our hideouts. Um, they said, well, before you, before you do that, could you please just hear from our pastor? And they came to Brother Gallows, and it was a death sentence. We want you to go to the hideout, the headquarters. We want you to talk to the commanders. Tell them not to kill us. He said, okay, let's go. They blindfolded him. When the blindfold came off after hours of taking him around, 
He was standing in front of about 35 of the commanders of the New People's Army. These are the people that the government of the Philippines, even the United States government, has tried to wipe out for decades. Haven't been successful. The blindfold comes off and they're all, tell us why we shouldn't kill them and you. And he started preaching to them. And the Holy Ghost moved in the enemy's camp. The people said that would never convert. Tears started coming down the cheek of a commander. And then another one and another one. To this day, I don't know the latest. The last report I heard, he's baptized about 35 commanders. In fact, he's been so successful that that area of the country that has not been able to flourish, they haven't been able to have business and industry and whatnot because of the the extortion and the ransoms and all the things that were going on and the the, the brutal killings, that that businesses are thriving and they're coming back and the government's taking notice, amen. They're like, man, this apostolic message has got some power, hallelujah, because they came in and they said, why is it peaceful now? Why have these bad guys laid down their guns? Who was the one? Captain America, Batman, Superman, who is it? They go, no, it's the 80-year-old preacher right there. What if we really could do all things? So my last thing, and then I'm going to leave you. You see that picture, Brenda, with a child? That child lives at Smoky Mountain. It's still there. It's the dump. Manila has 20 million people, 20 million people in one city, 250,000 people per square mile in some places, three and a half million homeless people, one and a half million street kids, hundreds of thousands of orphans. The drug epidemic, that's something else I could tell you about, it's incredible. The drug drug epidemic is robbing children of parents. Crime, then there's abuse. 21 years ago when we first went to the Philippines, I was raised there, Brenda had never been there. She saw, she was confronted with that poverty. And the task is just huge. And so she looked at the children, the Lord spoke into her life and said, you have to do something about these children. And Brenda said, that's a good idea for somebody to do. Somebody needs to do that, but didn't do it. Why? Fear. Can't do anything about this. Number one, it's too big. Number two, we never done anything like this. It's a huge commitment. Well, after our, uh, you know, contract, shaking hands, no more fear if God opens the door. She just couldn't live with herself anymore without doing what God told her to do. So we're in the Philippines, we're with our friends, and she says out loud, she says, I'm gonna open an orphanage. I said, what? I said, that's cool. That was really, when you say something like that, you're basically saying, that's my life. You can't just start an orphanage and say, well, forget it, kids, I'm leaving. You can't do that. It's a commitment. Our friends who were with us at the time, they said, they're business people we've known for decades, they said, 
you want to open an orphanage? We said, yes. They said, we want to sh- take you somewhere. They took us an hour and a half out of the, con- out of the city of Manila, a place we'd never been, beautiful part of the island. When we got to that destination, they, we drove up between two Norfolk pines into the gate, and they said, we bought this property 21 years ago because God said somebody's gonna come to us and say we need it for a ministry. And so they said nobody came to us. So we just turned it into a place of prayer and fasting. They built structures and bunk beds, pastors go there. They pray fast three to seven days. That's all it's been used for. But now they've given it to us. Brenda kind of hung her head. She said, yeah, 21 years ago, that was, that was me. You see, when fear told us to stop, God was already making a way. And so we have the building uh, plans. We have all the engineering stamps. We have the foundations uh, here, there, tax exempt over there, which is almost impossible to get in the Philippines. The government has finally given us approval. Yes, you can have an orphanage. It will be uh, approved by the government. And we've got all the impossible things out of the way. Now all we've got to do is build the thing. And we can't wait. We're going back August, uh, I'm sorry, October 23rd. Amen. I just want to show you, can you show them? And then I'm done. Amen. Hallelujah. hard to believe that a place like this exists in our modern world today. Welcome to Smoky Mountain, Tondo, Manila, Philippines. Many of the first members in the church in Manila came from right here. I was just a kid when the church began in Manila, Philippines. I remember going to Smoky Mountain. I remember sitting in that She's for Christ Volkswagen van, wondering why in the world are we driving through the dump to pick up people to go to church. My dad would tell me, son, these people have souls too. They've got to be saved. We've got to do everything we can to reach them. The smell was horrific, overpowering, nauseating. It assaulted your senses. However, the people that we got from the dump, they smelled clean, their hair was neat, they took pride in their appearance even though some of them lived in holes in the ground. 
it turned out that the dump was the best place to get them because they made the best Pentecostals. Once they learned about the principles of life and giving and living, they weren't in the dump forever. They moved out. That was a little over 40 years ago now, and we have over 200 churches in the city of Manila. However, the dump is still full of people. Smoky Mountain is a throng of humanity. It's the third largest slum in the world. You might think it sounds crazy, but my heart is there in Smoky Mountain. I've seen the children. I've seen the possibilities. All they need is for somebody to believe in them. And there are several churches that are still reaching into Smoky Mountain. They're bringing people out of the trash heaps, out of the coal factories that burn the charcoal for most of the Philippines. But no matter how much good we all did, the orphan children still had no home. We realized we have the answer. All we have to do is get the vision crystallized into a clear plan, bring this vision to our great brothers and sisters in America, and fund this project. The Apostolic Church is big and powerful in North America. It isn't right that we only have one orphanage. Think of it. This means that when you consider there are 8.3 billion people living beyond the borders of North America, we have only one orphanage to service all of them. How can this be? We must get to work and make things happen. These kids need food, they need a home, and they need God. We can do this. We have over one million fired up apostolics in the Philippines. What if the orphans could find a home with us? What if we introduce these children to hope, to joy, to praise, and to worship? Anything's possible. I wonder if there's somebody here. There might have been a dream you've had in the past. And you've kind of left it because life has a way of making you lose track of the important things. Because you're tending the urgent. I believe the spirit is saying right now. We need to find those, those dreams. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. David was young when he fought the giant, and Moses was 80 when he went to start his ministry. Doesn't matter if you're poor, rich. Ruth, she was cursed. She didn't have anything going for her. But the first day in Judah, when she woke up that morning, she looked out the window and she saw a field and there was harvest going on. And you know what she said? She said, I think I'm going to go there because I might find favor. That's hope. That's hope. Hope against all odds. This church has done incredible things. What if there's more? 
You've done many things in your life, in your ministry. Well, what if there was more? What if there was another level? What if there was a ministry or an anointing? What if God would put a healing in your hands that you could, you, not just the pastors, walk into a hospital and have a healing ministry? What if we could pray with such anointing, intercessory prayer that we could empty out bars? What if? Hallelujah. Just everybody just lift your hands if you feel comfortable doing it. Just just have a moment with God. Somebody find your imagination again. Dust it off. And tell that old bully fear. Fear you've intimidated. You've shouted. You've echoed through the halls of my mind long enough. God, I, I want my life to be a life of faith. Following God where you lead, that's where I want to go. <laughs> life is so soon past. God, I want my life, every moment of my life to matter. I wonder if there's somebody you want to make a commitment and just walk to the front. Faith, faith and motion go hand in hand. There's something about it. You just step out. Even if you just step out into the aisle, you don't even have to come up here, but if you just step out. Somebody's told you you don't matter. Somebody's told you, you you're, you're, you're never gonna do anything. Somebody said you, you're not gonna, somebody's written you off. The Spirit is saying, it's time. Your time has come. In the last days, saith the Lord, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy. Your old men are going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to see visions. There's going to be a revival of the imagination, a revival of hope, a restoration of hope in our life. God, right now, I come against the new normal that has set up in our lives. Let the church dream again. Let me dream again. God, don't let me dream safe dreams. Don't let me dream possible dreams. God, let me dream impossible dreams. I know the best way I can honor you, God, is by dreaming the impossible and believing the impossible shall become possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. There is a mighty presence of the Lord in this place. Somebody has come here and you have pain in your body and you have learned to live with it because you have swallowed the lie. I don't believe you have to live with that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can somebody hope? I don't, I, I know there's a day coming. I won't have pain. I know it's coming. It might be today. There's somebody here. You're going to be restored today. This is your day. There's somebody here. You, you're, you're far from God, but this is it. You're coming back to God. Can you see it? 
Can you see his arms around you? Can you see him holding you tight? Can you see yourself getting up off of the ground, getting back into the fight? If you can, if you can, somebody just let the spirit move in your life right now. If you can, just somebody speak with tongues right now. Just let it flow because there are soldiers here. There are mighty men of God. There are mighty women of God. There are spiritual gifts that are coming down out of heaven, coming to you right now. Hallelujah. What if? Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.